we call it because it's a sermon that covers a lot of topics and he delivered it on a mountain and then every word, every syllable, every letter, every punctuation mark that Jesus expressed or stated is the most important and valuable written words that we have on planet earth. So everything Jesus said to us is vitally and critically and urgently important. And I say all that to say, consider then the importance of the first words that he spoke. We've been waiting on him since before creation. We've been waiting on him since Father God said he would come, uh, seed would come from a woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And now that seed, after all those thousands of years, is here, born of a virgin, born under the law, which meant now he must wait until he's 30 to begin a public ministry. So we waited all those generations. Now we're waiting three more decades Jesus' earthly ministry begins, he opens his mouth and he begins to speak. How important are these words? The things that he's about to address. God in human form living among us, speaking to us. There is no way to exaggerate, there's no way to, to overemphasize the things that he is going to speak to and things that he's going to address. And that's where we find ourselves here in Matthew chapter 6, and let's begin at verse number 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. My experience in serving other people is that people are often trying to resolve advanced life problems without basic life understanding. There are all kinds of things that we struggle with, things that torment us, things that bother us, things from behavioral issues, mental issues, emotional issues, that we do not understand and seemingly have no answer for 
seemingly cannot resolve. And it's because these advanced life issues and problems require a basic life understanding to correct. Among all the very important things that Jesus said in the verses that we just looked at, he included some very important basic life understanding, things that people did not know, things that people were not aware of, that Jesus is helping them understand, he's making them aware of. He's talking about priorities, he's talking about the heart, he's talking about the eye, he's talking about um, you know where you've put your trust, so many key things that that literally reveal how God created us to function. When he's talking about your eye being single and your whole body being full of light, all of these are critical, basic life understandings that if we're ignorant of, they still produce results in our lives. And our ignorance then becomes the devil's advantage. You were designed by God to function and operate in a, in a very specific way, you were designed to, um, to bear the image of God in this created realm. You, you were created to have fellowship with and be one with the Trinity itself. You, you, you were made in the image and likeness of God to look like God looks and to function the way God functions. So literally, you were made comparable to God so that you could be compatible with him. This is, these are things that we, we need to understand, and I'm not, I'm not trying to turn any of you off by those kinds of statements because those are extreme statements in a lot of religious circles, Christian circles today, but everything that I just said to you is 100% supported by verses of Scripture, many verses of Scripture from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a very specific way that we were designed to function, and we see the part where he's talking about your eye. He's talking about what you are looking to, and he's revealing something that you need to understand about yourself, he's, because he says, whatever you look to, you will look from. Whatever you look to, you will look from. If you look to heaven, you will see from heaven, but if you look to the earth, you will see from the earth. And you decide, you decide which one you look to. Amen. But if the more you look to heaven, the more you will see from heaven. Remember, Jesus lived every day of his life on this earth, not with a view of this earth that came from this world. Amen. You were never meant to live in this world with a view of this world that came from this world. But you can look to God or you can look to money. And the more you look to money as your source of provision, significance, satisfaction in life, the more you will look from money. In other words, you will, you will begin to look at everything in light of money. If you look to money, you will look from money. If you look to God, you will see from God. Amen. Look to money, see from money. Look to God, see from God. This is how he created you. You decide whether you see this world from a heavenly perspective or you see this world from a worldly perspective. You decide that based upon what you set your eye upon, what you choose to treasure. Amen. 
Now, there's a lot that's in those verses that we're going to dig into. But there's a bigger picture and a really important word that I'm excited to, to present to you and to, and to give to you, to offer to you um, this morning. And so let's, let's try to, to deal with that, and then we'll come back and fill in some of these uh, other very, very important things. W- one last thing before, before we do that. Remember this. Remember this. You might want to write this down. Satan introduced, Satan introduced a new way of looking at things. Satan is the one who introduced a different way of looking at things. Are you following me? He's the one that introduced that. A different way of looking at things did not come from God. A different way of looking at things came from the devil. And it doesn't matter how many different ways the devil introduces into life on this planet of looking at things. How many different ways he says, look at it this way, look at it that way, see it this way, see it in this light, look at it in this. It doesn't matter if he develops a thousand different more ways of people identifying themselves, considering themselves, looking at themselves. Amen? There's still only one way. There's still only one way of looking at it. There was only one way to look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Only one way to look at it. Satan introduced to Adam and Eve a new way of looking at it. Now they're conflicted. Now they're confused. Now they don't know. It's not that they forgot what God said. It's now they're looking at, what, they're looking at it in light of what God said, and they're looking at it in light of what the devil said. They, their eye went from single to double. There's still only one way to look at it. There's the right way, and there's the wrong way. There's God's way, and there's the world's way. Are you seeing this? If your eye be single, if you look at it the way God intended for you to look at it, your whole body, your, your, your body is a container. Your body contains your spirit and your soul. So when he says your whole body will be filled with light, he's not just talking about, you know, like your actual flesh being filled with light. He's talking about your spirit and your soul, which is your mind, emotions, and will, now being filled with God's light. We often use the expression, it dawned on me. It dawned on me. Dawn means what? New light. Light's coming up, right? So now all of a sudden, when something dawned on us, but when it dawns on you, it doesn't dawn on you from the outside into you. It dawns on you from the inside out of you. Meaning you're not seeing it first and foremost with your physical eyes. You're seeing it differently from the inside, from the inward part of you. Because this is how God created you. He created you to envision. Pastor Bill Winston says it this way. You were never meant to believe something you can't see. You were never meant to believe something you can't see. He's not talking about seeing with your physical eyes. He's talking about seeing it with your spiritual eyes. Your whole body. Light is the ability to see. Your whole body being filled with light, with God's light, means your whole being, your spirit, your soul, and your body that your, contains your spirit and soul are now filled with God's way of seeing things the way we were meant to see them. Abraham saw Isaac raised from the dead before he ever put wood on his back and led him up that mountain. He already saw him raised from the dead in a figure. He envisioned it in his heart. Are you you seeing this? Who gave him light, the ability to see? Who gave him light 
to see his son raised from the dead. God gave him that. There was no story. There, there was no podcast. There was no uh, YouTube videos. There, not, in other words, there was no record of any human being ever being raised from the dead in the history of mankind. Where did he get, let's say it another way. Let's, let's say maybe you get it this way. Where did he come up with that? Where did he get that idea? His eye was single. And because he focused on giving glory to God, is there anything too hard for God? Truth, right? He focused his attention. He focused his, 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 his efforts of looking at situations. There was all kinds of ways for him to look at all that God had promised him. And he struggled with some of that. But when he became fully persuaded and his eye became single, now his whole body's being filled with light and he sees inwardly his son being raised from the dead. Let's go back to Pastor Bill Winston's statement. You were never meant to believe something you don't see. Inwardly. Sweet Jesus. So do you see why the devil is trying to get you to envision inwardly all kinds of negative things. The devil is trying to hijack your imagination. He's trying to take control over the way God created you. He created you to think. He created you to imagine. He created you to envision things. He created you to speak those things out of your mouth, to see them inwardly, to confess them out of your mouth, declare things that be not as though they were. That's how you were designed to function. It is of no coincidence that these teachings, these doctrines, these verses are some of the most uh, embattled doctrines in all the Word of God. The devil does not want people to understand how God designed them to function. Number one, because he doesn't want you to function as God designed you to function and experience the benefits of that in a positive way. But listen to me, it's, it's, more, it, it's, it's, it's more wicked than that. There, there, there's a conspiracy going on here. The devil doesn't want you to understand it because as long as you don't understand it, it makes it all the more easy for him to hijack that, plant thoughts in your mind, where you begin to see things not the way God sees them, but you begin to look at things the way the world looks at them. You begin to envision that inwardly. You begin to speak that out of your mouth. And it's all producing results in your life that the devil's trying to get produced in your life instead of the results that God desires to produce in your life by the way he designed you. What I'm talking about right now is what Jesus is addressing here. Now, Jesus covers several things here, and at first glance, they seem to be multiple unrelated points, but they are all connected to one another. Every word that I read to you this morning is connected with every other word that I read to you this morning from those verses. Every bit of that is Jesus trying to help you understand. Listen to me very carefully. Every bit of that is Jesus trying to help you understand and overcome one very, very serious problem that we all struggle with and must overcome. Every human being. And it's worry. It's worry. Now see, listen to me. Hear me now. Hear me. 
all worry. I said, well, they're big a deal stuff. You know, everybody worries. What you can't believe he's going to talk about worry. This morning I thought it was going to be something important. No, you listen to me, please. You listen to me very, very closely. What is worry but imagining negative outcomes? What is worry? If it's not the devil hijacking the way God designed you to function, where you, through the self-imposed torment, use your God-given ability to think and reason and imagine and envision and picture things inside of you in a negative way. Jesus, in the verses that I read to you, he says, do not worry about your life. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Do not worry about your, well, that's a direct quote. Do not worry about your life, number one. Number two, which of you has ever changed anything by worrying? Think about what he's saying right there. Would somebody please bring me just one, one single person on planet Earth that has ever changed anything positively by worrying. That person doesn't exist. That person does not exist. Do not worry about your life. Which of you has ever changed anything about your life by worrying? Then he asked the question, why do you worry? Why do we do it? He's like, why do you do that? Why do, you, why do you worry? Clothing, food, shelter. But the overall overarching question is, why worry at all? See, we, we, we're thinking that, that we can't do anything about worry, and Jesus is on, notice now, only one way of looking at this. And you're getting God's way of looking at this. And God's way of looking at this is, why in the world do you worry? It's not necessary. You don't... I almost hollered louder than I've ever hollered in this building. You don't have to worry. You don't have to do it. You... Do not have to worry. You don't have to do it. Devil's lied to you. Thinking you have to, you can't do nothing about it. You do not have to. Jesus asked, he said, why do, you, why do you do that? It's not necessary. It's not changing anything. It's not helping you. It's not helping anybody else. Number four, he says, do not worry saying. Because he's trying to help you see that the worry that, that takes place, envisioning, picturing negative outcomes, imagining how things could go wrong and what this might happen and what this person may say and what this person may think, all those things that we worry about, right? Next thing you know, now, coming out of our mouths, Do not worry about your life. Which of you has ever changed anything by worrying? Why do you worry? Do not worry saying. And in the fifth one, he says, do not worry about the future. Don't worry about tomorrow. 
We get so concerned about tomorrow, we don't live today. We're so concerned about what we do today might create something negative for us tomorrow that we don't obey God today. Well, I, w- I would have paid my tithes this month, Pastor Mark, but I'm not sure what, what might come up for the end of the month. See, worried about t- you're worried about the future and, and you're concerned about what might happen envisioning your power getting turned off, envisioning that, whatever, all these negative outcomes that, 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 we, that we focus on, that we worry about, right? Notice now, that's, that's your eye, your eye setting on all these potential negative outcomes, all these other ways of looking at it. What is that doing? It's drawing darkness into you. If light is the ability to see, guess what darkness is? It's the inability to see. So now, you've set your eye, you worries in your heart. Worry opens the door for darkness to come into you. Darkness meaning the inability to see. You're blinded. You can't be focused on the right and the left at the same time. So to focus on one thing is going to involve excluding other things. That's why he said you can't serve, you can't look to... You, you, you can't be loyal to God, who is God, and the God of this world, which, who is or which is mammon, money. If you look to one, you're not looking to the other. You say, well, Pastor, I understand what you're saying, but I, 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 just, I, I try to look at them both at the same time. Double vision, your eye be bad, that's what it means. So now you're drawing conflict into yourself, confusion into yourself. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but see, a troubled heart can't see clearly. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. Worry is allowing your heart to be troubled. And when you allow your heart to be troubled, you cannot see clearly as God needs you and created you and designed you to see clearly. Maybe I should have led with this, okay? Anybody besides me ever been stressed out by hearing a sermon on worrying? If the subject of worrying is not handled properly, talking about it will only give people something else to worry about. It's like, man, now I'm, I'm worried about all these things I've been worrying about. So stressed about all this worrying I'm, I'm doing. Man, what's going to happen if I keep worrying? See, now, if you hear a sermon on worrying, it's like almost, you know, you, Brother Keith Moore started a new sermon series recently on the, on the body, physical body be in the temple, and, and you, you can tell, you know, it's just people who are hungry for the word pull it out of people who are, are called to God to bring the word. And I could tell he was struggling, and, and you know, I'm sitting there listening, and I'm going, is this a sermon series I really want to listen to? And finally he just said, he says, look, he said, y'all aren't into this yet because you're afraid of what I'm going to say. Right? In other words, we, we know we need to take better care of our bodies and this and that, whatever. 
So, you know, he, he introduced the subject. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, oh, no, 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 you know. I don't know about this in Pastor Keith, you know what I'm saying. Now, look, if, you, if you're going to talk about carbohydrates, I'm just, I'm just going to go to church somewhere else. Jesus is clearly addressing the subject of worrying here. But because we've looked at his entire message as unrelated and disconnected points, we've missed the cause of our worrying and along with it, his answer for correcting the problem. It seems and feels like we have no control over worrying, like we cannot help ourselves. This misconception has led many to concede worry as a natural part of life, as something inevitable that we have no control over. Some are so deceived that they have decided worry is a good thing, even healthy. These folks consider worry as a cross to bear, part of being a responsible parent or a responsible person, and a way to show love. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't worry about you. Back to those sermons on worry that stress us out. More than 120,000 people die every year as a direct result of work-related stress. I've told you this before, and I'm not going to, listen, we're not going to do all this. Not now. If the Lord leads us to do it, we'll do it later. Okay? So don't, don't start pulling back on me. Okay? I have searched for a lower number because the decades-long now numbers that have held true after many, many, many more studies have supported the percentages that I'm about to give you. And when I say I've looked for a lower number, it's because this number seems so high that it, that it can't be right. And yet, decade after decade after decade, it hasn't changed. Are you ready? 75% to 90% of all doctor visits have a stress-related component. These combined statistics result in a yearly health care cost to Americans totaling $190 billion. Worry is not your friend. Worry, also known as anxiety, anxious thoughts that produce anxiety. That's the root word in Matthew, where he, the word worry, where he says do not worry. It's marim now in, in the Greek. It's talking about anxious thoughts, anxiety, worry. Stress is another word. It's, it's, we call it by different names, but it's all the same basic thing. Worry is not, never has been, and never will be a good thing. We've got to come to terms with that. Worry is evil and devilish. Satan wants to downplay worry. He never wants us to see it for what it really is. If, I, if I'm going to tell you anything outside of the literal word of God this morning that God said to me to say to you. I'm, th I'm thinking to give it to you right now, okay? 
There is no greater evil more readily accepted and tolerated than worry. Get your phones out and take a picture of that. Amen. Those of you that do that, whatever. You, listen to me. That's, this is, there's a lot of reasons, I think, why the Lord said it to me to say it to you that way. And that's one is because we, we are not looking at, we've been playing with worry. We've been toying around with it. We've, we've been tolerating it. And this is exactly what he told me to tell you. He said, there's no greater evil more readily accepted and tolerated than worry. There's all kinds of things that are evil, but we don't accept them readily. We don't tolerate them even if, if they do creep into our lives. But worry, there is no greater evil that is more readily accepted and tolerated than worry. We were singing about the holiness of God this morning. The holiness of God. As we were singing about that, it, it was like inwardly the Holy Spirit on the heels of what we're talking about now. That worry is devilish. Worry is evil. Worry is wicked. Right? Now, you hear the heart and the spirit of this more even than the letter, okay? But how dare we bring our nasty, filthy worry in the presence of a holy, omnipotent God? I want you and I want me, with the Lord's help, to start seeing worry for what it is. It's nasty, it's filth. And there are all kinds of nasty, filthy things that we would never let in our homes, never let in our minds, never watch on our televisions. But we'll throw a party for, for worry. What do I mean by throw a party for worry? We want other people to worry about the same things we're worried about. I mean, if I'm worried about it, I need you to be worried about it with me. Let's talk a little more about it. Worry, we've already mentioned this. Worry involves imagining negative outcomes. Worry is not changing anything for the better. Worry quickly becomes words, and words set in motion the course our lives follow. Worry has serious consequences beyond the personal torment it creates. Worry is fear. Worry is fear, and the Bible is very clear. Fear has torment. Worry is rooted in pride and our efforts to control things in our lives. Let me give you this verse, and maybe you'll see it more clearly this morning than you ever have. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5, 6, and 7. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Comma, verse 7 begins with lowercase c. Same thought, same sentence. 
So one more time, humble yourselves into the mighty hand of God that he, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. What is the context here? The context here is God resists the prideful, but he gives grace, he gives help to the humble. Electricity will not flow through rubber, but it will easily flow through copper. The grace of God will not flow through pride, but it will easily flow through humility. He is establishing all of this about being submissive and ultimately being submissive to God. But what is the context that he includes here in, 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 to reflect or the example of our being submissive to God? Is casting all of our care upon him, recognizing that he cares for us. What, that's humility. It's humility is to cast your care upon God. Pride is to bear the weight of the care yourself. Do you see this? Sweet. The devil is very sneaky. He's been deceiving human beings for thousands and thousands of years, and he's gotten very good at it, but we have the light of God's Word, and we're shining the light on his tactics and his strategies and his schemes, and we're exposing them so that we can understand and see what it is that he's trying to do and how it is that he's trying to do it. And I will guarantee you that the average born-again person on planet Earth does not consider worry and pride to be the same thing. We don't, we don't see any connection whatsoever between bearing the weight of our own cares and, and, and letting our hearts be troubled by potential outcomes and, and the cares of this life. And, and, and these, we, we don't see any connection whatsoever between that and being prideful. And yet it is absolutely being prideful because by worrying, you have said, I'm going to try to figure out a way to resolve this instead of doing it God's way. I'm going to look at this from many different perspectives and many different lenses instead of seeing it from the only lens that matters, and that's the lens of heaven. Worry is not pleasing to God. Worry is the opposite of trusting God. Now, that's something we've talked a lot about here the last couple of years. Three years now, I guess. Trusting God. Worry is the opposite of trusting God. Now, let's remember this. Worry dishonors God. We're, we're stitching some things together here. Let's go back. Worry is not pleasing to God. Somebody tell me from Wednesday night, what's pleasing to God? Faith. Is there anything you and I can ever do apart from faith that would please God? No. No matter how good or how noble or how recognizable or how many people pat you on the back or congratulate you for being such a good dude or a good dudette, it, it's, it doesn't matter. If it's apart from faith, it does not please God. Why? Because if it's apart from faith, it, it means it's your own efforts at self-righteousness. It's your own works. It's your own uh, means of trying to earn God's favor or get him and other people to pat you on the back. So worry is not pleasing to God. Worry is the opposite of trusting God. Worry, therefore, dishonors God. And remember, God honors those who honor Him, and there's no greater honor than trust. In, in late 2022, the Lord began to speak to me about 2023. And I've mentioned this a time or two, but, you know, 
just being straightforward with you this morning, I, I didn't see this coming, at least in the way that it's playing out now. The Lord spoke to me about being stress-free in 23. Stress-free in 23. For me to be aware of, of the least little thing in my life that would try to bring stress upon me and correct it immediately, to, 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 to go into 23, well, really, if I... It's, I'm leaving part of it out. And this is why I thought it was just a personal word for me. He said it this way, stress-free productivity in 23. I'm not, again, the personal aspect of this. I've asked the Lord with his help to make 2023 the most productive year of my life. Okay? And for it to be productive without stress. Because, see, the world thinks a high level of productivity is going to equal a, a high level of stress. Staying up late, getting up early, working around the clock. We're going to get her done. No, no. Anybody ever lived on this planet less stressed and more productive than Jesus? <laughs> no. You say, Pastor Mark, he didn't have any stress. Well, he was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was his humanity, right? But he overcame it. How did he overcome it? By setting his eye on heaven and seeing you and me over there one day catching bass top water on the crystal sea with him for the joy that was set before him. Same way you and I overcome stress and worry, he did it. Didn't look at it from his world. Do you realize all the reasons Jesus had to abort that mission? Jesus, the, the you know, he, he could have, he, think of all the excuses he could have made to his father. Father, three years of hard work. I have invested blood, sweat, and tears in that bunch of snoring pile of good for nothings over there. They watch me raise the dead. They watch me walk on water. They watch me feed thousands and thousands of people. They watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. And I'm begging them to pray, and they won't pray. They don't get it. If they don't get it, nobody's going to get it. I'm out of here. I mean, but when he prayed for them, what did he say? Father, I thank you that they have heard and received my word, and they've always received and believed everything. See, in other words, he, he's not looking at it from the outward He's not regarding them according to their flesh. Aren't you glad he doesn't regard you and me according to the flesh? All those people who believe sin in a in a in a born again person, in a, you know, somebody that's born again but still struggles in some areas in their life, that everybody who believes that that person won't go to heaven, because you realize worry is evil, it's nasty, it's filthy, it's a reproach. We're free from shame, but it's shameful. We should be just as ashamed of worry as, as we would be any other vile sin that we commit in our body. 
See, I, I felt some of you, you, you didn't like that. You just, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. So, Lord, why, you know, I, I might want to stress these people out about the stress they have in their lives. But see, until we see it for what it is, until we see it for what it is, if you could see, if you could see the demons that are feeding you, those worrisome, troublesome thoughts in the spirit realm it looks like vomit and smells a hundred times worse it's nasty it's filthy and I'm not trying to gross you out but if we don't understand that we'll just keep on lapping it up There is no greater evil more readily accepted and tolerated than worry. Worry, according to Jesus, imposes limitations on your life God never intended. There's the part in there where he said, is your life not more? and food and clothing and shelter what had happened worry in these people's lives had literally reduced their entire existence to their next meal their next change of clothes in, in, in the house they lived in notice that was what they were focused on and remember what worldview is worldview is not just your view of the world it's, it's how you view your place in the world these are God's chosen people meant to be a nation of priests to the rest of the world, the Gentile people. people who hadn't, these people had covenant with God. These are descendants of the great Abraham who had the same blessing upon them that Abraham had upon himself, and yet their lives had been reduced to nose to the grindstone. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. I hope we got enough money to eat before we get paid again next month. Worry imposes limitations on your life God never intended. Why is that? It's because worry is among the devil's most effective strategies for neutralizing your faith. Worry involves the devil hijacking the way God created you to make you a manufacturer of doubt. You start imagining all these things. What if this happens? What if I, what if I do what God said and this doesn't? Blah, 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 blah. See, notice what's happening right here. Worry, worry is among the devil's most effective strategies for neutralizing your faith. It's not the only strategy. Love, bitterness, unforgiveness, you know, not walking in love, having unforgiveness in your heart, being bitter towards other people. That's another strategy. The devil's got a lot of strategies to try to neutralize your faith. He can't steal it. God gave it to you. 
And the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So whatever God gives you, God's never going to take back. So the, the devil can't steal your faith from you. He only hopes to neutralize it. Why is that? 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes this world. So the only hope the devil has of containing you and me is to try to neutralize the faith that God gave to every person. He's given to every person the measure of faith. And so notice how that the devil's trying to neutralize it. Worry is one of the devil's most effective strategies for neutralizing your faith. I'm trying to get to the good parts, but... Amen. We just got to do this first. Amen. You still with me? I'm not saying this isn't good, but I'm talking about the answers to all this. Worry is evidence you're not listening to God. See, when we say it's nasty and filthy, we need to realize that the devil is the one who's trying to offer us all these other different ways of looking at things. And if you're hearing from him, peace, not worry. Joy. Jesus said, I'm telling you what I'm telling you so that my joy can be in you and your joy will overflow. I'm telling you what I'm telling you so that you can have my peace in your heart, the peace of God that passes all understanding. What's Jesus telling us? Jesus is telling us the truth because he is the truth. Only one truth. Only one right way of looking at it. Jesus said, I'm telling you to look at it this way. Because if you look at it this way, you'll have peace. I'm telling you to look at it this way because if you'll see it this way, you'll have joy. Joy is your strength. Peace guards your heart and mind. The devil doesn't want you to have joy. He doesn't want that joy to be your strength. He wants you weakened. Who benefits from you being weak? Not God. The the devil benefits from you being weak, right? Who benefits from having access to your heart? The peace of God is what guards your heart. It, It keeps your heart and mind. Your eye be single, your whole body be full of light. See, if, you, if, you fra- if your focus is fragmented, then the devil just come and go and put thoughts in there. And all he's got to do is just plant a seed. Next thing you know, you've got a tree of worry in your life. You took it from, it's like, I'll take it from here, devil. Just let me keep on imagining how bad this is going to be. Next thing you know, you're planning your funeral. I've been, I've been there. I'm not proud of that, but I've been, I've been there. When they found a really large mass in, in my throat and told me they're pretty certain it's cancer, man, you just like punched in the gut. I had, I had to get a hold of myself. Thank God for a godly wife who helped me get a hold of myself. Next thing you know, you, you, you done, you done figuring out who's going to raise your kids. The devil. Imagining. I'm trying to neutralize my faith. What was the victory over all that? Faith. If, if you're listening to God, you're going to have peace. You're going to have joy. I'm not, listen, I'm not telling, somebody said, ouch, when I said this. I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to offend you. It's, 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 I'm not, I know some people take this to an, to an extreme. But if you understand leprosy, and, and why people with leprosy have such serious injuries to their body is because they can't feel. They can't feel pain. And so they may lay their hand on a hot stove and not even know that their, that their hand is burning. 
And worry is, is it, in other words, the devil doesn't want us to understand this. We, sh- we should recoil from worry the minute we sense it, just like we would jerk our hand back from a hot eye on a stove. Worry is evidence you're not listening to God. Worry is evidence you're not seeing things in the correct light. So you thought I forgot this, didn't you? A significant shift. A significant shift always includes, somebody say it now, a significant if. So here's the if. I believe, I'm not saying this is all there is to it, because the Lord's kind of unfolding this differently for me, the way that he's unfolded things in the past that I've presented to you. But I'll tell you what the significant is, at least for today. The significant if for today is, what if you stopped worrying? Would that create a significant shift in your life? If you stopped worrying, are you worried about what might happen if you stopped worrying? Think about that. Man, if I stop worrying, this might happen. And if I stop, no, see, again, what, what would happen if you stopped worrying? Since nothing good and only bad comes for worrying, it only makes sense to stop doing it. But how? How, how do we stop? I'm glad you asked. Because that's what Jesus is telling us in Matthew, the sixth chapter. He talks about treasure in heaven. He talks about your eye being single. He talks about serving God and not mammon. And then he says these words, Therefore, do not worry about your life. Stand with me. Therefore, do not worry about your life. That therefore is therefore a very important reason. That therefore is literally saying, based upon what I've just told you, based upon what I've just revealed to you, based upon what I've just explained to you, based upon what I've just said, don't worry about your life. He's telling us in those verses, do not lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures, uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt you you know what i'm saying but lay up for yourself instead treasures in heaven because where your treasure is there your heart will be also he's not talking about you never enjoying anything good on this earth but you realize people have a lot of good things on this earth but because they don't see them from heaven's perspective they they can't they can't enjoy them prosperity is not about just having a bunch of stuff prosperity is about having things and enjoying those things so many people got all kind of stuff they don't enjoy any of it why is that it's because of the way they look at it. They, they see in money. They look to money, and so they see from money. I am so trying. I'm, listen, see, now this is, I'm just exposing the devil, right? See, I'm sitting here worrying about how long I've kept you this morning. Right? So watch this now. If you're worried about money, guess what that means? You're not looking at it. You're not looking at it the way God would have you look at it. If you're worried about your children, you're not helping them. You're not being a good mama by worrying about your children because you're not looking at it. Right. Well, Pastor Mark, I understand what the Bible says about angels and having charge over all this stuff, but just it's a dangerous world out there. You don't think God knows it's a dangerous world out there? No. 
not helping them and you might very well be killing yourself. This whole passage is about overcoming the nasty, filthy, devilish, evil, most readily acceptable and tolerated issue, sin, problem that there is, worry. It's all about how to overcome it. And I want you to consider for a moment the significant amount of biblical real estate Jesus gave to this subject. I mean, if you're going to compare this to like, he said way more about this than he did about prayer, fasting, and giving. You done with it? You done with worry? Amen. Pastor Mark, it's not that easy. See, there you go. You look, you looking at it. You look. The, the world says it's not that easy. The devil says it's not that easy. What you gonna do when the, when the worry tries to get on you? Listen, we ain't even got there yet. How about this one? Are you ready for this one? Proverbs twelve twenty five. Anybody know what that verse says? Anxiety in the heart of a person causes depression. Depression has a cause. Depression has a cause. It's anxiety. It's worry. The more you worry. People don't often connect worry and anxiety with depression because when depression hits us, it seems to come out of nowhere, doesn't it? It's like all of a sudden it's like, whoo, you know. But anxiety upon anxiety, these things build up. Especially a born-again person, the, the inside of you tries to fight against that. You know, anxiety pulling one way, God pulling another. But eventually, it'll, it'll give way to at least a wave of depression if we, if we don't. Can you come back for some more of this? Amen. All right, Father, you're so good to us. We're done with it, Lord. We, 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 we're through with it, and with your help, we'll never worry again. And when we feel worry coming on us, you're going you're gonna to help us with the Holy Spirit who lives in us to recognize that we're listening to somebody other than you, and we're looking at things in a way that you never created and designed us to look at them. And, and Lord, in that moment, we're going to cry out to you for help, just like we would if we were being tempted with any other sin, or even if we had committed any other sin, we would say, Father, I, that was wrong. Please forgive me and help me. Jesus, this is a very important subject to you and, of course, to Father because you presented this to us because Father told you to say this to us because you never said anything that Father didn't tell you to say. And so if it's important to the Father and it's important to the Son, Holy Spirit, we know it's important to you. And because you live in us, you have been chomping at the bits to help us with our worry problem. Help us see it for what it really is. And the threat that it is. To not be afraid, Father, but to believe you and to follow you and to hear you. Incline our ear. Lots of voices. But we're leaning in and listening to you. A single eye, a single ear. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Know that you're loved. Know that you're loved. Tell somebody around you that you love them. Be blessed. Life and peace. We'll see you Wednesday, if not before. Praise God.